Well, hey, we are going to be starting a new sermon series tonight. This is going to go uh, several weeks through the summer, and we're calling it A Closer Look, Your Favorite Verses Explored. So what we're going to be doing is looking at different verses that are very common. What we, what we did was we looked at the most quoted verses that are out there. And thought, well, let's, let's look at these verses and make sure that we have a clear understanding of what they mean. Because some verses that are quoted over and over are taken out of context. Some present maybe part of the truth, but we need to see the rest of the truth. And some verses are just exactly what we think they are. And so as we look at them, we want to make sure that we are understanding what these verses mean. And so we're taking a closer look at some very, very, common verses in the Bible. Today, we're going to start with John 3.16. Let's go ahead and read that one. You may have heard this before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I memorized this one in the King James because everybody always said the King James, this is the NIV. It's pretty close. Maybe you've uh, learned it a little bit differently, but this is a very, very, famous verse. Why is this such a famous verse? I think it's because it's a wonderful verse. It's an amazing verse that encapsulates the gospel in such an incredible way in really one sentence. It's amazing how that happens, that we can have this verse that is so beautiful and wonderful. So really, this is a verse that means what we think it means. And in fact, maybe there's a depth to it that we can grab hold of, but there's not a misunderstanding of this verse. It's not taken to mean something completely different, and it's not part of the truth. But really, in order to really understand, we need more Uh, look at the truth from a different perspective. This is a full thought. It's a complete concept and it's a beautiful, wonderful verse. So let's dig into John 3.16 and try to get the depth of it. So John chapter 3 is early on in the book of John. So that means that we're in the middle of Jesus' ministry on earth, but he's not well known yet. He's not got all these thousands and thousands of people, but the, the teachings of Jesus are starting to take hold. And so a Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to Jesus to try to get a further understanding of who he is and what he's doing. Now, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And people kind of assume that he's sort of sneaking in there. You know, he doesn't necessarily want to be associated with Jesus in the daytime, you know. So he comes in and he just wants to check out what's going on with Jesus. So he comes to him at night. He compliments Jesus. He says, you know, you got to be from God or you wouldn't be able to do the miracles that you're doing. And he was a Pharisee. So he believed in the resurrection of the dead. He believed in angels and demons and miracles and things like that. So his theology fit in with what Jesus was teaching and he was just amazed and Jesus talks to Nicodemus about some amazing amazing things he says if you want to see the kingdom of God you've got to be born again and Nicodemus is all confused about that you know what are you talking about and so they have a little discussion about what it means to be born in the spirit and to have your eyes open to the things of God 
And he just has this great conversation, Jesus and Nicodemus. And that's where we pick it up. We're going to jump into John chapter 3, verse 14. And Jesus here is still talking to Nicodemus. And let's see what we have here. We're going to read 14 through 21, put the verse in its context. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So Jesus is describing all of these things to Nicodemus. Some very interesting reference here in verse 14 and 15. So let's jump back to verse 14 and 15. Read that quickly. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee. So he would have been a scholar of the Old Testament. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. And verse 15, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So he's making a reference to something which is recorded in Numbers chapter 21. So let's go ahead and read that so that we can understand how Jesus is explaining the gospel to this well-educated Pharisee named Nicodemus. Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. So if you know anything about the Israelites, they had moments in time where they just griped a lot. And this was one of those moments. They were in the desert because they didn't go into the promised land. They're wandering in the desert. And now they're griping about the manna that they're being fed. And they're just unhappy. Verse six. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. So that's real super. (laughs) They're in one form of judgment, wandering in the desert. They could have gone into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua said, let's go take the land because if God is with us, we can take it. The others said, no, the giants are too big. So God said, oh yeah, well, you're going to go wander in the desert for 40 years. I'm going to raise up another generation. All you unfaithful people are going to die in the desert. So they're in the middle of judgment, wandering in the desert. And then they're complaining about what their lifestyle is like in the midst of God's judgment in their life. Now God's judgment in your life is unpleasant. So they started to whine about it, and then they got second-level judgment. So they're being judged by wandering in the desert, and now they're being judged by venomous snakes being sent to bite them and kill them. This is a rough deal. 
Many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Here, the people put two and two together and they realized, okay, we're, we're in a bad spot. We've been whining and we, we've not been full of faith. And so now we're, we're being judged in this terrible way. And so Moses, would you pray for us so that these snakes would go away? We know that we've sinned against God. We've said bad things. So Moses prays for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. I wouldn't have seen that one coming. It's an interesting scenario. All right. So Moses prays and God doesn't just take the snakes away. He says, I want to know if you'll obey me in a very simple, easy, maybe even ridiculous way. You're still going to get bitten by snakes. But if when you get bitten by a snake, you come and you look at this snake, that's a bronze snake put on a pole. If you look at that, you'll recover. I want some act of obedience from you. So he calls them to that. People come after they get bit, they look at the snake and then they live. So this is the story that Jesus references when talking to the scholar Nicodemus about who he is, who Jesus is. He's trying to explain, he says, just as the snake was lifted up in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. So the snake coming up brought healing to the people from their sins. And this was a big, big story in the Old Testament. And also it's in our society as well. You know, you see this at hospitals, EMTs. It's, it's from the book of Numbers. Who'd ever thought? It's the snake on the pole. So this is an important concept, something that's well known even in our culture, but it would have been extremely well known in Jesus' day among the Jews of that day. So look at the snake, the bronze serpent on the pole, and you're healed. How theologically complex is the bronze serpent? Is this complicated stuff? It's very, very simple. You look at the bronze serpent after you get bit and you don't die. It didn't say they didn't experience any pain. It didn't say anything like that, but you would recover and not die. So very simple. How complicated is the cross? Look to the bronze serpent. We look to Jesus on the cross. It's not complicated. If Way back in the days of Numbers chapter 21, if you were bitten by a snake, would you have looked at the bronze serpent? Seems pretty straightforward. If you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, would you look to Jesus? So why don't people do that? Why are there people that don't look to Jesus? There's a variety of different reasons, I'm sure. Here's three quick thoughts. First one is unbelief. You know, if you don't think looking at the bronze serpent is going to do any good, if you don't think looking to Jesus is going to do any good, you're not going to. Another one is pride. You can't tell me what to do. I wonder if there were any people in Israel who got bit by a snake and someone said, oh, okay, well, Moses prayed and God's going to forgive us if you just look at this bronze serpent. And they were like, you can't tell me what to do. You think anybody did that? Oh, yeah, I'm going to live my own life. I'm not looking at that snake. What would happen? 
Well, they would die. Go ahead and just a small bit of obedience. Look, so pride can stop us. And then fear of rejection. This is something that I think many people in today's world are concerned about with regards to their relationship with God is simply fear of rejection. Let's go back to John chapter three, verses 19 through 21, John chapter three, verse 19, Jesus, again, we just read this. This is him talking to Nicodemus. Jesus says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. People don't want to come into the light because they don't want people to know who they are, what they're doing. They don't want to be exposed for the truth of what's going on in their life. So they're afraid to come into the light. Verse 21, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So people in relation to the cross can think, wow, I'm a bad person. I've done these bad things. You know, how many people have tried to invite someone to church and they said, well, I'd go, but I'd probably get struck by lightning once I drove onto the parking lot. You know what I mean? They say that because they just feel this thing where they're not going to be well received by God because of the life that they've lived. And what happened with the bronze serpent in the desert was there was no qualification. There was no evaluation. Okay, how have you been living your life? How's it going for you? You know, if you look at the bronze serpent and, you know, you got a few issues, well, then you're probably not going to get healed. No, it was just whoever looks is in. And it's the same way with Jesus, except it's whatever's in your past. The, the deeds of the past, we can walk into the light And say, I'm coming in faith that I'll be forgiven. I'm coming in faith because I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God. And I need to be forgiven so I can have everlasting life. I need to be forgiven so that I can walk with God in this life. And so that deed is the deed that we need to believe in and not be afraid to step into the light. Because when we step into the light and ask for forgiveness, the thing that's remembered is that we had the courage to step into the light, even though we had some, some problems. Because you don't get to fix yourself first and then come to Jesus. It just doesn't work. We come to Jesus and get fixed. It's like being bit by the snake in the desert in Numbers 21 and saying, well, I need to get healed and I need to get well before I'll look to the bronze serpent that Moses is holding up. No, you look because you've been bitten and because you're in real trouble and we've all been bitten by the darkness of this world. And we all can look to Jesus for healing. Let's look at four parts of John 3.16. So put John 3.16 up there. We're going to look at four parts of John 3.16. First part, for God so loved the world. This is the motivation. Part one, the motivation. God so loved the world. Why does God do things? He's got his reasons. This one is clearly explained. Why did this happen? Because God loved the world. What does the world mean? It's not talking about trees and birds and, you know, buildings and that sort of thing. It's talking about a sinful, broken, dark, 
messed up world full of messed up people who are far from God, who've got lots of problems, who are just mired in all kinds of issues. That's the world. That is the world that God so loved. The motivation for God to bring forth everything described in John chapter 3, verse 16, the motivation is the love of God for a rebellious, sinful, destructive, messed up bunch of people. Isn't it great that God loves sinners? Isn't that great? That is a wonderful Glorious, beautiful thing because he sees past who we are into who we can be. So the motivation is that God loves this world and you are part of it. God loves you. You can trust in the character of God. You can trust in the love of God for you. So that's the motivation, the love of God. Then we have the offer, the offer. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son an offer, an offering, a sacrifice of the son of God. He gave, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is the only way. And it's because of two seemingly conflicting things. And that is the love of God and the justice of God. We serve a God that is perfect in love. He is not Showing favoritism. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's love is profound and perfect. And God is just. Amen. He's righteous. He does right every time. He never bends morally. He never falls morally. He never makes a mistake. So he is full of love and he is full of justice. And there's a problem because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, when we sin, the wages are death. Why is that? You know, you ever wonder why do we have to die? Why would sin cause death? Well, because God is trying to set up an eternal kingdom where there's There's no pain, there's no suffering, and there's no sin where there's nobody ever going to say something bad about you. No one's ever going to take something from you. No one's ever going to leave you out or any even minor little sin. None of that's going to happen in this eternal kingdom full of creative, free-willed beings. And so if we're going to go there and we're going to say something bad about somebody or we're going to take something from somebody, then we can't go because we will ruin it. And so we can't be there. The wages of sin is death. In order to create the eternal kingdom of God, all sin must be eradicated. So that's death for those who are going to do that. But God loves us. So he wants us to get in. And we've all disqualified ourselves. So now what do you do? (laughs) Well, the price must be paid because God is just. The wages of sin is death. But God wants us in. So he gave his one and only son that the wage would be paid, satisfying the justice of God, and that that would satisfy the love of God so that we could be redeemed, not just forgiven. We are redeemed. The price is paid. It's not just that, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll just let that one go. It's that Jesus had to pay the price because God's justice must be satisfied. So the offer is the sacrifice of Christ for redemption. So we've got the motivation, we've got the offer, 
Then the third part of John 3.16 is the response that whoever believes in him, whoever, King James, whosoever, I like whosoever, because it's got that extra ring to what, it doesn't matter who it is, whoever it is, whosoever, whatever, anybody, just like looking at the bronze serpent that was lifted up in the desert. There was no list of qualifications. The only qualification was you got bit by a snake. Now go look. Okay. Hey, help me out, Lord. And then they would live. Whoever. It didn't matter. You didn't have to have a certain genealogy. You didn't have to have certain religious classes under your belt. It didn't matter. Anybody who looked at the bronze serpent was healed. And whoever believes in Jesus, but you have to believe. You have to respond. Just like they had to look to the bronze serpent. So we need to believe in the Lord. We need to respond. Whosoever believes in him is the response. Those who believe. Some will believe. Some won't. What about you? Some will believe and some won't. What about you? Then the fourth part is the promise. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Just like when the snake bit people, they were going to perish. They look to the bronze serpent. They lived. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life, life here in this world, walking with God, and then life for eternity. That's a pretty big deal. I'm always amazed when Christians are bored with the concept of eternal life. The older I get, the more I like this concept. I've said before, I want to live to be 150. Not a word from God, just a personal decision. There's just so much cool stuff to do here in this life. I, I'm not going to have time to do it. I want to, I want to live all this up. This is awesome. But even if you could live 150 years, that is nothing, nothing compared to eternity. What an incredible promise. Not just that you won't perish from the snake bite, which represents sin in our world, but in, you don't perish with that, but you get born again, which Jesus told Nicodemus earlier. You start to understand the spiritual things. You get to walk with God in this life, but then you are protected from death, the second death, and you get to live forever in the paradise of God, which that sounds real good to me. What an incredible promise. God knows exactly what we need. And we're not going to be floating on a cloud playing a harp. We're going to be engaged in purposeful, creative activity. He goes to prepare a place. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. These are the four parts of John 3.16. The motivation, the offer, the response, and the promise. That is the good news of the gospel. I like the good news of the gospel. If you reject the good news of the gospel, then there's the bad news. God so loved the world that people would not need to have the bad news. Jesus died on the cross so that you wouldn't need to have the bad news. But some people will not believe and they'll get the bad news. Let's read John 3:18 and 3:36. 3:18 again. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So standing condemned already sounds real bad. The good news is we have no reason to figure out exactly what this means. Let's go ahead and believe. 
Let's trust the Lord. Then we don't need to stand condemned. And John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So just as those who presumably, some didn't look at the serpent, maybe they all did, but if somebody didn't, the wrath of God would remain. And they would then reap the consequences of their sin, the wrath of God. And we, when we believe in Jesus, we receive freedom from sin, from the wages of sin, and we can have everlasting life. But if we refuse that, then God's wrath remains. I am so glad to be free from the wrath of God. If you've read this book, wrath is a real thing. There's global floods, there's fire from heaven, there's snakes and wandering in deserts. There's the wrath of God. He wants none of us to experience that. He gives all of us a way. But if we refuse that way, we stay in the wrath of God. So why would people refuse to look to Jesus? Why would they refuse to do this? It's not complicated, but I think it's so important to see Jesus and to see the cross in the right light. Have you heard the word baggage before? Religious baggage. Baggage can cause us to see in the wrong way. And we need to look to Jesus in the right way. A very interesting section of scripture from John chapter 6. So just a couple chapters later. Jesus is speaking and he explains something to the people. John 6, starting in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. You have seen me and still you do not believe. These people saw Jesus. Imagine what it would have been like to live in the days when Jesus was teaching and he was performing miracles and you could be there and see it. Wouldn't that have been something? There were lots of people who saw Jesus and said, no, this guy's got something wrong with him. This guy's deceiving the people. Yeah, I don't know. That's probably from the, probably from the power of the devil that he's doing the things he's doing. There were people that saw him and did not believe. Verse 37, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So here in John chapter 6, we see two ways to look at Jesus. Two different ways. Because, you know, if you see somebody wearing a necklace with a cross on it, and you see that cross, are you saved? No, that's not sufficient. It's not like just looking at the bronze serpent. Well, I don't know that they even had to understand anything. They just had one little act of obedience. Look at that. Okay. Oh, now I'm going to live. And that was it. But there's different ways to look at Jesus. There's different ways. John 6, 36. 
As I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. You have seen me and still you do not believe. I looked this word up, seen me in the Greek, and it means to look at or even to stare at. How many people have looked at a cow and the cow looked at you? You know, the cow is looking at you, but you don't get the sense that it understands much about who you are. You know, it's not gazing into your soul. It's not grasping the fullness of who you are in Christ. It's just sort of vacuously staring at you. And that's what this is talking about. Seeing Jesus, but not seeing Jesus. Seeing the cross, but not seeing the cross. Seeing the church, but not seeing the church. Verse 40, though, is very different. My father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Looks and believes. Verse 36, looks and does not believe. Verse 40, looks and believes. We can look in different ways. Now, this baggage thing, religious baggage, it's a big problem because it affects the way that we see the Lord. And this is a rhetorical question. Do you think the church has been effective in representing Christ in our world? I think people are doing the best they can. Some people aren't, but most people are. But we have failed to effectively represent the love of God, the victory of God, the power of God in this world. People look at the church. I used to do it years ago. Look at the church and think, what a bunch of goofballs. They say they've got God on their side and they can't even get it together as people who don't even believe in God. They have more emotional problems than the unbelievers. They don't have their life together any better than anybody else. And they got God's help. They must be some messed up people. Since we haven't represented God well, it makes it more difficult to see Jesus for who he is. If people could miss Jesus when they were speaking to him face to face, when they were hearing him teach, when the miracles were happening, when they're hearing all of these glorious stories, if they could disbelieve then, how much now when we are the representatives of God, when we are the ambassadors for Christ and we do all kinds of dumb stuff is harder now to see through the church to Jesus. But that's what I'm asking you to do is to see through me, see through your baggage, see through all of that and see a loving God whose motivation is to set you free and to see a sacrifice that was made because of how valuable you are in the eyes of God. And the opportunity to respond to that, not to be pushed around by religious junk, but to be able to respond to the love of God and to receive the promise. Everlasting life, born again in this life, everlasting life in the age to come. See, it's important how we live our lives because we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Somebody said years and years ago that for some people, the only Bible they're ever going to read is the face of a believer that they know. We have to represent the Lord effectively. So he who looks to the son and believes is the one that will not be lost, that will not perish, but have everlasting life. He who looks to the son and believes. This is talking about having faith in Jesus as your Lord and savior. Faith involves a choice. Faith involves a choice. There's a place that is between blind faith 
and absolute proof. And that is the place we live. We don't need to have blind faith in God. There is lots of evidence for God, but there isn't proof. So we're in between. This is where we live. And now is when we choose. The offer has been made. The price has been paid. And now it's time for us to respond. Our closing scripture is going to be John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Heavenly father, you are so good. Thank you for your love, which motivated the sacrifice. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing, for doing your father's will and not your own, for being willing to go to the cross that I could be forgiven, that I could have everlasting life, that each one of us here could be forgiven, that each one of us here could have everlasting life. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for what you've done for us. Let us walk in your ways, walk in your strength, and receive of your goodness as we share your goodness with this world. In Jesus' name, amen.